The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome everyone and thank you so much for being here, all of you intentional spirits. What a pleasure it is to be with you and and to feature incredible people from all over the universe uh, of this dimension and, and sometimes, quite frankly, probably from another one who... Who knows? I mean, what better time than now if you're going to label yourself to call yourself a mystic? Because at this point, anything is possible. So really appreciate you and all the things that that you do. Um, That being said, it's my pleasure today to um, bring to you Jacob L. Cooper. And we want to talk about his his book and his near-death experience that he had as a child, and we're talking about his new book, Life After Breath. Wow, how a brush with fatality gave me a glimpse of immortality. Welcome, Jacob, to the show. So glad you're here. Such an honor. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction and for having me on as a guest. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Um, we've been You've been scheduled for a long time, so... I've, I've really been looking forward to this, and um, I love that, you know, so much of the energy is emerging forward to change and to open that veil between life and death, because that's all it is. It's just a shadow away, you know. Um, I liken to that idea of um, Psalms 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's just a shadow. It's real, but it's a shadow. And so tell us, get us going in your story and when you said that this happened to you as a child, what what happened in your life? Yeah, you know, I was three years old at the time, which you know, we could explain hopefully later on how, how I do believe and know, you know, it was possible for me to retain, retain it, you know, in such clarity, but I was three years old, it was September of 1993, I'm giving my age away, and um, and I had something called pertussis, otherwise known as whooping cough, which um, for infants or children, you know, could be fatal, you know, if, if it's not properly treated, you know, medically or given the proper modality. And so I, at the time, you know, suffocated, you know, due to whooping cough. I went to a park with family friends. 
and I climbed up a literal ladder to a slide. You know, think of the name Jacob and ladder, and you know, yeah. due to the, due to the suffocation and deprivation of oxygen, every part of my body began to shut down. But I but I found that my spirit and my doorway to eternity was just opening up. And um, like we said, it was not it was a shadow, but it was an eternal awakening, the infinite reality that we can never be taken from. And so it was profound. And so from suffocating, I was able to touch, to, to really get in touch with the eternal breath bestowed in all of us since the dawning of time. And I mean, did you... I mean, I think the thing about these kind of experiences that happen, and of course with Raymond Moody, um, William Peters, um, who has an organization called Shared Crossing. I mean, with trailblazers before, this is not an odd conversation now. I mean, thank heavens, you know, that people are coming forward and sharing. but. When you're three years old and, and you have this occur, did you talk about it right away? Did you talk about it to people that actually understood what you were talking about? Or, you know, what did that look like? No, you know, it's funny you mentioned trailblazers because uh, Raymond, you know, is, is on my cover. And without Raymond, I, I, don't, I don't know if I would be having this conversation right now. You know, and the reason is, is, they were able to give a vocabulary and a lexicon and a diagnosis of what I had. Um, it wasn't until I would say my later teens, early twenties, where I was able to put into words and have a vernacular of my experience. And I picked up a book that I was gifted called Embraced by the Light by Betty Eady, which was a bestseller, I think in the nineties about her near death experience. And reading her book, all of a sudden gave me universality and, and a language behind this experience that other people had it. You know, for me, I very much buried it very much deep within. I didn't tell anyone. It was just something, you know, that I had in, in a cool experience, but it wasn't something that I could put into words or I didn't know that words could describe it or other people would understand it or that there was such a label for it. It just to me was the most, magnificent, euphoric, uh, powerful, transformative experience that I could recall in this lifetime. So it took me a bit of time. And I know groundbreaking, you know, near-death experience researchers such as PMH Atwater, for instance, who um, you know, really specializes in children and infancy near-death experiences will attest that it takes several decades to integrate and make sense of the NDE. And so I could say that that was pretty much spot on with what I experienced. And when you did, you know, have your have your breakthrough. In other words, your mm -hmm. you you came forth. Um, what about because I, you know, one of the things with this show is 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 that um, you know Jeff and I have been doing this show for a long time, and Andrea. And so we are, you know, we're kind of familiar with uh, the people that are tuning in and, and we attract, you know, these intentional spirits 
because they want to be, they either are and continue to be, or they want to be more intentional. So I think stories about particular moments and things that happen and people that accept or abandon or, you know, engage, I, I think they're very healthy. And so when you first then started talking about it and, and you were in your 20s, um, were you re- received right away? Did your did your family go, God, he's so cool. You know, what a great dude. So glad to be affiliated with him. Did you have that kind of uh, space in your life? Well, I, I didn't discuss it with my parents right away. They were one of the actual last people that I discussed it with. Um, you know, there, there was a group that I did speak to, and I was, at the time, you know, practicing yoga, meditation, and, you know, as an infant, I would do all these things, but I wouldn't have a formal practice for it. I wouldn't have a label for it. It would just be my natural connect, connection. And as an adult, you know, we have labels for all this stuff and, and people who practice it and all that stuff. And so I just gravitated to people who were, you know, very much intuitive, um, people who were astrologers. And so speaking with a couple of intuitive friends of mine, uh, they said, you you got to get out there, dude. You got a story. You got to share it. And, you know, there was a moment where, you know, I was attending a, a yoga seminar. And at the time, it was just very difficult. I, you know, was in my house and I was, I guess acting out and I was thrown out of my house for a couple of days and I just felt so displaced. I was in like my early college years and I'm just, I just felt, you know, at ground zero almost. And a woman approached me and said, you know, you have a very powerful auric field. And I'm just like, what? You know, I kind of heard the term, but when it, someone random comes up to you who really was not so random you know, and she says, you're going to be a healer. I see you speaking in front of a lot of people one day, and you're going to make an impact on this world. And you know, so much of that just reminded me of elements that I speak about in Life After Breath and my NDE, where, you know, part of it was was being able to stay on for this mission of being this healer. But my first real, you know, group was with, was with um, a metaphysical organization that was on the same town that I actually had my near-death experience. But, you know, one time I had a, um, I was a therapist and working with, you know, a couple other different therapists as an intern. And somehow, in some way, this topic of conversation got brought up. And I spoke to my supervisor that I, that I had this. And he said, in group supervision, I really want you to, to talk about this. And I go, geez, you know, talk about, this with, with anyone is difficult, never mind therapist. I, I feel like I'm going to be judged or, you know, put in a psychiatric ward. You know, are they going to believe me? And and after, think, you know, discussing that, you know, I just found that there was just such an interest and such an openness. And so to me, it was very cathartic and very healing to be able to bring forward this book for other people to read and then have this book a part of their lives too. And you know, that's why I wrote my book. <laughs> so, you know. Wow. How how rewarding is that, right? And it, it, it's likened to, I'm, I'm hearing an underneath layer that, um, would you call yourself an old soul? You, you know, uh, 
<laughs> I get I get that all the time. That one of my endorse one of my endorsements, Pat Longo, uh, she is a very well known healer and being uh-huh. in the medium in Long Island, she she was behind them like Long Island Medium and yeah. all those other people. She's a very powerful healer and it's in her endorsement she goes, It is evident that Jacob is an old soul. Um, yeah, I see that. You know, I, I'm looking at your website and everyone yeah, else, yeah, yeah. you can tune in to uh, Jacob's website. It's jacoblcooper.com and you can read all about him and make that connection. Yeah, it's it's fun uh, being in your circle because we have some mutual um, relationships. Suzanne Giesman is a friend of mine and um, I see her on there. Always love Raymond. He's been here a time or two um, in our community, and uh, yeah, you're in a you're in a great circle of uh, amazing beings. Um, so she made a reference to you, you know, being an old soul. But when you were talking about the things you were doing on it early in your life and things you just knew, well, that's old soul reality because you don't usually get that in kindergarten. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. Right. Not in most right. kindergartens, you know. Maybe the Bali school uh, will influence enough people uh, nationwide, but at this point, probably not, right? Right. You know, and 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 an old soul is in later in life seen as as a blessing in many ways, but certainly when you're a child, and for for myself, that was that made life quite complicated. Then you add the near-death experience and just in terms of how that impacted me where all of a sudden, you know, this reality that was being put on a conveyor belt, I was just taking off the apparatus. And now all of a sudden, I looked at things through a totally different lens, but the lens was that what we today label as spiritual is, could be seen by other people as monopolized. You know, this person who meditates daily or birds Nang Champa is or has crystals is is spiritual. We sometimes get lost in the practice and the surface level of it. But you know, at the end of the day, I think what I just learned was we are all spiritual. We all are spirits here on earth. We all aren't just here to bring heaven on earth. We are literal uh, droplets of heaven here on earth. And, and so, you know, and, and the clear understanding that this wasn't a random biological biochemical existence but this was a div- this was an infinite intelligence far greater than my own behind so many different parts of life and sometimes we lose sight of that intelligence guiding the path and sometimes you know fear overtakes the faith within the plan you know absolutely well i i applaud you for living out loud you know, that, uh, that's what's so cool, uh, that you're willing to uh, be a messenger and share your story and, and reach uh, another audience in addition to, uh, you know, the bravery of, uh, of Raymond and Suzanne and, and uh, Anita Mojani. I mean, that it takes a lot of courage to step out when, um, you know, so many people are more comfortable living in a box and just taking things at face value. Um, it's, it, I find it, you know, very exciting. I, I haven't had a, a near death experience, but I had a number of years in my life that I was like somewhere between life and death, energetically speaking. And so I'm, um, I'm not an advocate. I'm an, excuse me. I am an extreme advocate for near death experiences 
they're amazing and life-changing and life-altering and, and, and help people be free of a lot of paradigms that they live in. And I, but I'm an advocate for my own experience of, of the energy part of how to move from near death to, uh, we have too many near life experiences, you know, the things we could have said yes to that we were afraid of, or, you know, those kind of things, letting people in because we had been, you know, rejected before and those kind of things. But, um, I applaud you for, you know, what you're about and, and what you're doing. How long has the, has the book been out? Yes, you know, it came out a week before Christmas, um, okay. December of 2020, this, this, so just a couple of months. But Life After Breath has had a whole life within itself. Um, you know, you get emails from, you know, people in hospital beds, people in Ireland, people in Australia. And so I know the Old Testament will always say to spread yourself to all four corners of the earth. And that's probably the only thing that I've kept until this day from uh, <laughs> from school. But it's very important. And <laughs> that's enough. Technology. That's enough right yeah. there, right? That's like yeah, the prayer um, yeah, yeah, job is expand my territory. So that's it. it sounds like your uh, your territory has been broadened, right? <laughs> well, I, I I give technology great credit. I mean, just last week I did an interview in Ireland, and then the morning before, one in Sweden. And without this stuff, I. You know, you can't reach and teach people, you know, this regard. It's just amazing. And like anything in life, it's what we make of it. It's, it really has a lot of potential. But regarding the phenomenon of near-death experiences and part of, you know, see, I, I, I anything action that I do, I, I try to have high intention uh, where I sit with what do people need to hear? What would be helpful? What would be resourceful uh, for, for readers? And, you know, being in the field of near-death experiences and being a fan of, you know, all this stuff, I sometimes find myself, you know, putting other people on pedestals where sometimes we transfer this world of success, you know, to those who are in the spotlight. And what I learned really is the spirit realm is the total diametric opposite in so many regards of this realm, you know, where the hierarchy and, and the better and the monopolization it's just an illusion of this paradigm. And so in Life After Breath, my real goal is for people to not put myself a near-death experiencer or the near-death experience phenomenon itself on a pedestal, but rather to have that as a doorway to their own inner truth of eternity and to have like a little bit of amnesia that they are just more than this body, they are more than their pain, their struggles, they're infinitely protected and guided and this is something that we all bestow um, and I think it's just the closest act I think to embodying this is recollection and having parts of your soul having a familiar tickle to it when you hear someone speak you know mm. uh, that 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 is beautiful and in your um, talking with people in Ireland and other places is there a is there a common thread? Is there, uh, are you able to see some, some common things that are emerging within people and, and what they're concerned about or, or, or what they're celebrating? It doesn't have to be that something's wrong. It could be something right. Uh, what, is, what, is, what is that looking like in this new 
uh, door that you have opened from your book, Life After Breath? Yeah, you know, I think obviously in any time, but today especially, it's so easy, you know, to be apathetic and to, and to be governed by the everyday problems that we're, you know, all walked into, you know, in this world. But I think a lot of people are more geared towards solutions. Uh, at least if they are hurting, you know, they're looking for deeper answers and they're utilizing um, and they're able to generate the hope past their own pain. And so they're not just sitting there within their pain. They're trying to migrate to deeper pearls of wisdom to get them through and navigate, you know, the, 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 these waters. And so um, I think in a way, near, the near-death experience, and not to get into specifics, but on a macro basis, it almost feels like what we are going through is a bit of an NDE in a sense that what we had was just pulled under our feet and now we're trying to find this new gear, this new foundation. And, and so whatever we were standing on, we can't because that's changed. You know, the world has changed. You can never step in the same river twice. The river's always changing. And that has happened this year times 10. And so when that was being pulled, I think people are tuning into another frequency. And that in itself is a nutshell of so many near-death experiences. We have the shake-up periods of consciousness, lose your breath, you know, you. some people it's intentional, some it's unintentional, but it's usually jeopardization to the body that invigorates and opens up, you know, your, your soul in a way, you know, in your higher consciousness uh, realms of understanding. So uh, that's, that's my prayer, at least, that this is happening to people day by day, and, and I see it within within my work and I think you know the, the planet has different um, grids and, and, and different parts of it whatever reason soul groups you know tend to be a little bit elder you know some are a little bit younger you know and they populate in different groups and so I'm finding with different pockets of the world you know there there might be an older soul phenomenon with some of those different energies and it's, and it's quite refreshing <laughs> You know, to, to be in that field. Absolutely. Well, what I'm hearing is that you're at the highlight of your life, really, and just beginning in many ways, but it seems like an extremely exhilarating time. Are you going to um, uh, incorporate more traveling now that we're able to travel again, or is that going to be part of it? You're going to be on the circuit and and connecting in that way with your work? Yeah, you know, as, you know, we're getting to the dog days of this whole thing and, you know, it's kind of hopefully turning the corner and guidelines, you know, changing. I I will be doing, you know, a lot more in person. I have a book signing. Actually, my first ever book signing is this upcoming Sunday. It's at a venue in Long Island called Tranquility Within. Uh, but then I have a couple of other book signings outside of Long Island on the horizon and I'm going to be also participating in the forever family foundation summer retreat in Connecticut where I'll be distributing my books and giving it a talk there. So for those of you unfamiliar with forever family foundation, they're a wonderful organization that merges science and afterlife communication to help those, you know, dealing with losses of loved ones and, and deep seated grief that they're experiencing. So, 
And, and you've been to the Edgar Casey uh, Center in in Virginia as well. That 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 was remarkable. I, you know, I've I've had family members of mine who just loved Casey, and I, you know, my later teens, early twenties, was given a book, uh, There Is a River, um, and that was just a profound book. And right in the ARE, when you walk in, that's right there. The author, is the author named Tom or something like that? I forget the name. Uh-huh. But uh, it's right when you walk in, it's ARE, it's there. But to me, that just feels like home. And it's right on the water overlooking it. And what I love about, you know, Casey is everything that he did was intentional, methodical. The position of ARE and where he wanted to live and, and moving from, forget where he was, you know, somewhere down south you know, that he moved there, but it, it just had a specific energy and a specific portal. And obviously being by the water, you know, that was really, really profound for his intuitive senses. Uh, but I, I just, you know, when you're there, it's like a big vortex. It really is a profound energy field there. So that was, I can only imagine it's, I, it's on my, it's on my list at some point, but uh, we've had, um, yeah. We've hosted um, many Edgar Casey events here, and we've had you know hundreds of people come. So I, I'm familiar with that amazing energy that they that they carry. It's just really powerful. And his autobiography is by far one of my favorites. You know, of books I read. Uh, what an incredible talk about being a trailblazer and being yourself. <laughs> Well, he, he took the mold on that one, didn't he? Right. And what I love about Casey that's helpful for readers is, you know, and people who read his book who study him, is he, you know, once he took off, you know, on doing the, the tie and was, you know, giving the, the, the trans-channeling readings, he was very much a very simple man, you know, he wasn't you know, all over, you know, kind of out there. He was a very simple Southern man. And I think in a way that really speaks to how powerful the subconscious mind is. And when we tap into that, we're really tapping into our higher self and, you know, the doorway between two worlds in the world of eternity. Now each and every one of us has an open door to that and we could access that in our own developmental levels and readiness. Uh, but but I, I, I love that concept where he was just mm-hmm. a simple man. He wasn't like, you know, totally out there. Similar, you put on a, you know, he was just very, very simple. And then he just, he'd just lie in the bed and go into a trance. Eternity would come through. It's just remarkable. Yeah, I just, I just love that. Everyone, we're talking today with Jacob L. Cooper. And that's the same uh, as his website, jacoblcooper.com. And we are talking about his uh, new book, Leading It. He's talking about near death um, of life after breath. And so we will be right back um, after this short break. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit 
with Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you so much for uh, being with us and being here. Um, love being part of Unity Online Radio. We definitely are a voice for a changing world. I love, you know, sharing this uh, platform with all the amazing hosts uh, that we have with uh, Unity Online Radio. And a shout out to all the team at uh, Unity Village that because of that makes it all possible. You know, we also have ongoing retreats at Unity Village. I mean, everything is becoming in person again. And you can um, go to unity.org and look at those different things. I wanted to let you know I'm doing a shamanic retreat in at Unity Village on August the 25th through the 29th. Love to have you participate with um, Stowe Good, Karen Taylor Good and Stowe Daly and uh, Mark Fuss. And we are going to make some noise and uh, and open up and have allow some changes to happen. Uh, in a very good way. But I appreciate all of your support. Thank you for joining me at templehays.com or firstunity.org. And you can find out also about our online uh, university. That's very exciting. It's like the new talk of things going on. So tune in with us. But today, right now, we are talking to Jacob L. Cooper. And his website is jacoblcooper.com. And Jacob is a trailblazer. And I think in a very short time, Jacob, you have aligned with some, I mean, you didn't waste any time. <laughs> I mean, you just went to the cream of the crop, really. Suzanne Giesman and Raymond Moody and uh, Anita Morajani. I mean, just step on in there. I mean, I love it that you, you didn't mess around. You're like, here I go. If I'm going to fly, I'm going to, I'm going to have the right people in my boat. So I, I applaud you, uh, applaud you for that. How long have you been uh, practicing as um, a licensed therapist and, and doing the Reiki work? And, and the other thing I want to talk to you about is I see that you do past life transgressions, and I'd love you to, to go through that experience and share about that because I think people find that um, fascinating. I, and I always say that. I don't know why I say that wrong. It's past life regression. Thank you for sharing. Um, I can just hear that in my head. You're talking to me intuitively. Uh, Temple, it's past life regression. So start wherever you want to. I threw a lot at you. I'm not even eating chocolate today. I'm just wound up. So um, start with any place that you want to with that. And uh, tell us more about you. Yeah, you know, I, I, I regarding past life regressions, people will ask me how old I am, how many years have I practiced, but I... I firmly believe whatever we're doing now, we've had warm-ups and, and other practices in other lifetimes. You know, how could you, for mm -hmm. instance, ever explain Mozart at such a young age or Michael Jackson and, and his, and his you know, innate ability or, you know, any of these savants that we see just all of a sudden out of the womb seemingly, you know, just have this degree of skill that just mathematically impossible to almost have you know, in one lifetime, bear in mind at such a young age. And so I do believe the work that I, that I am doing is just, a con, you know, a continuity, you know, off, off of other lifetimes and working as, as healers and stuff like that. But, you know, I was very blessed to be in a family of humanitarians. I come from a lineage of three different uh, social workers. 
And so the concept was very much embedded in me is it's kind of like a person is a person through a person that's kind of like Ubuntu principle where, you know, being able to have a sense of community, have a sense of empathy, or as Anita's book would say, empathy is a new strong, and finding ways to be advocates and cheerleaders and, and supporters for for humanity. And that's what I was born into, and uh, the cooperation and support versus competition. And so that really... Um, ties into the near-death experience where, you know, I was I had this near-death experience and I talk a little bit more in the book about it, but, you know, when everything was taken from me, I was given infinite love and I was able to connect to my own spiritual guides and countless angels that were around me. And I just saw the incredible gift of not only life itself, but from losing the body, I was able to remember that this, this you know, this was such a gift. And or this infinite soul in a body. And I guess the point that I'm trying to make is when I lost my breath and I was given this, this breath of eternal love and, you know, eternal support um, and life that was put back into me, my goal was to give that back to people when they were feeling similar, when they were feeling breathless or lifeless, um, you know, and just do everything I can, you know, to help them catch their breath because that's really you know, a part of what, unless you're on a ventilator, that makes us alive and human. And I think the really the deeper the breath, the deeper the connectivity between the upper ethers and, you know, in this, in this, in this realm that we're able to really synergize and integrate. Uh, but past life regression, um, like I said before, I was very heavily influenced with Casey because I think he really, at least from my understanding, was the first intuitive that would really get into in-depth astrological influences and past life influences on, you know, the sitters that he was, uh, you know, reading uh, and, you know, transcribing. And so for myself, I really understand, you know, past life as, as a real, as a real an insight, insight. To soul's purpose. I'm sorry, did I lose you? It went blank for a minute. Can you hear me okay? Oh, yes, yes, I can. I'm sorry. Our connection is strong. Are you, are, are you able to hear me now? Oh, yeah, our connection is very strong and will continue to be for many years to come. Yeah, it, you know how it is with technology. So it, it just start into delving into the depth of the past life regression. That's kind of after you uh, gave the credit to Casey, then it, just kind of faded out. So just pick oh up God. from there because we don't want to miss that. That's some rich stuff, you know? Yes. You know, I, I do believe in understanding reincarnation in our past lives gives us a greater, you know, understanding of our roadmap of our soul and, and what this lifetime is about in so many regards. And I would say being able to write the chapters uh, differently than the ones before and to utilize the good and understand you know, some of the lessons and some of the, um, you know, opportunities, you know, within this carnation to rise above. Uh, but, but, as, but as a child and having this near-death experience, I really was fascinated with the subconscious mind and how I was able to retain the near-death experience as well as other subsequent past life memories. And 
I, I didn't want that insight to be held by just myself. I wanted to really allow people to, to have that as well, too. Mm. And, and in your um, experience, and maybe just one more question about that, because I really want you to talk about also some more uh, things in your book, of course, but um, do, do you have a story like where you, uh, you know, without naming people, where you read uh, someone's life and, and they had like this pivotal change or uh, awakening or or, or it made their life make sense or anything like that? You know, it, it was, it's interesting, you know, as a kid, I wouldn't go around calling myself a psychic or have the term for it. I more so saw it as a nuisance where I would be able to have these premonitions on a constant basis and they would just come to pass. And for me, yeah. I saw it more as a burden or just something annoying where I was just like, can I just live my life and not see these things happen, you know, and it's kind of like, I, I look at intuition as almost kind of like we have this, you know, this song playing, but in the background is this kind of soft, you know, other FM, you know, radio playing too. And it's mm -hmm. just, you know, that's, that's going on at the same time. And so as a kid, you know, and most kids I do believe are very highly intuitive because they're not in their thinking, thinking as much. They're not in their left brains as much. They're really, you know, most of the times they're a lot more energetically connected, you know, to their own centers of intuition, um, not in their own head as much. But I um, would see a lot of events that come to pass, and particularly some of those events would be when someone would pass. I suppose, you know, my sensitivity and, under and understanding from my own near-death experience allowed me to understand, you know, someone's continuation period and when that would happen. But I would, you know, for instance, have kids in my school and they would be talking and then I would just see these future visions and then years later they would happen and I just almost kicked myself for not you know telling the person that and you know they were good they were like weddings and one kid I saw you know you know passing away or, or you know or, or dying at a young age and that not only happened but I drove my car and then in the next morning on, on a random road to my school his car went through you know, a part of the woods, and it was like early in the wee hours of the morning, and so it was just strange how a decade earlier, you know, you had this premonition, just a random, not really random, but just you know, ten years later, you had this profound connection, and the and the and the dots are somehow connected, because there is no real time, you know, you know, over there, there's just time here, you know. But, um, yeah, and it, it, yeah, is, I mean, it is yeah. somewhat true that, you know, the more we own it, um, the more we seem to have it. And I, I think that that's something, you know, for those tuning in and listening, that's, a, that's an important value to, to remember, you know, being a psychic or very, being very intuitive is like developing that muscle, you know, and you develop confidence with it and competence over time. And, um, and you have to be willing sometimes to speak things, you know, and I, I think that's an important part of it too. You have to be willing to ask questions or articulate to someone to get some kind of validation so they can go, oh yeah, thank you for saying that. You know, that reminds me of, you know, this that occurred. So, you know, good for you. You're stepping out there, Jacob L. Cooper, that's for sure. Um, 
Let's talk about your book. Are you, yeah, um, you know. did it change you in any way writing it? Yeah, you know, um, I was about to say, we just don't know the value of a smile to someone. Never mind if we have an intuitive hint how that could change someone's lifetime and not being able to be afraid in the right way, you know, to, to share that. You just never know what that will do with someone's day. But regarding the book, um, you know, years ago after my first presentation um, with an organization that I'm, that I'm now an ambassador of, it's called the Eyes of Learning Metaphysical Center, you know, someone came up to me and it's just like, where is your book? And I'm just like, book? I was, you know, at the time, you know, taking remedial writing courses in a college and reading courses. And I'm like, me writing a book and author? Like, no, that, you know, that was probably deserved to like a sibling of mine who was, you know, academic. And I just never saw myself as, as a writer. Uh, but, but I, you know, understood the value of story. You know, see, I, I think there is a lot of people who walk around like old library shelves where you have these experiences and they collect dust. And if the, if the book isn't opened up, it just kind of sits there. And I think our experiences are the same way. You know, if we're able to, if, whether that be a blog, you know, a live or just a small sharing in a, you know, in, in a professional, you know, supportive setting, you just never know where that experience will take you. And that's one thing I've learned, you know, that it's not about necessarily what you think, but, you know, it, you just never know the impact that it will have on someone else because we could always be our own worst critics. But um, I just found so much catharsis in writing the book. And to me, you know, the world at the time was kind of shut down and, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, uh, it was a weird time. And so I said, how could I use this period of stagnation to, to find acceleration? And I, I used the, the pain to deliver, you know, an expedited purpose to get this book out. And it gave me a new life when it felt like there was, again, the deprivation of oxygen of the world outside of me and just the stagnation on the outside and finding a momentum within, you know, to, to, to generate this book. Well, I applaud you, you know, because I, I know being an author, I know what it takes, you know, to, <laughs> to get it, that right. it, it's actually ready for people to, you know, delve into and to, and to read. What kind of feedback are you getting from people that are reading the book at this point? Yeah, you know, I was talking with our friend Suzanne uh, Giesemann. She had such a good point. She said, you know what? People will come to your book with their own level of consciousness. And it's true. You know, it, you had the same book. It hasn't changed. And so, you know, for the most part, no matter what creative work you do, there'll be, you know, people who like it. But there'll always be detractors. And I, I certainly am no stranger to that. You know, that, that's part of the territory. But on the overarching average, it's it's been positive and it's been moving, you know, regarding, you know, the level of support. You know, of course, on Amazon, there's always going to be those, uh, you know, on ratings, one or two stars. But that's when you have any creative work, that's that's a part of it. But I, I don't focus, as Anita would say, on dancing in front of the naysayers or entertaining that because then you tend to attract that more, but rather focusing on the people that it's going to reach, that it's going to help, and, you know, kind of living your message unencumbered to those people.
people, and then that leads to more abundance. So, so that's really what I focus on, um, and just understanding that people come to a different levels of consciousness. But it, uh, like I said before, you know, mothers who had children who have committed suicide have contacted me, or people in hospital beds, and people just feeling just, just very deprived of life force. And, you know, that really, the book, my goal is for everyone to find something within it. It's, I, I don't try to label it or pigeonhole it as just a book on a near-death experience. If I did that, I, I wouldn't be happy about the creation, because I, I think it's much more than just that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you really, I mean, uh, that's a, a level of making peace that that one must make in public life is that, you know, there's always going to be the critics. I, I get it a lot on social media or someone wants to debate something about their belief that, you know, they're not really open to anything else. And, you know, I, to me, it's it's really good. And it, it makes me smile because it, it mm-hmm. reminds me that I'm being my own person, living my own truth, living out loud. And I always say to uh, people that I'm, I'm supporting to train, you know, to be out in the field or to be authors or to be speakers or uh, people blogging or whatever, if everybody likes you, you're just, you're just in mediocrity. You know, if everybody goes, yeah, I agree with everything you're mm-hmm. saying, you're not really pushing the envelope, you know, or, or living out loud. So. For me, I've changed it around in my mind instead of seeing it as people criticizing me. It's like I take it as a compliment. Like, yeah, I got to keep going. (laughs) Stirring the pot out there. Oh, yeah, I got to keep people on their toes, you know. So, huh? The controversy is great, and that also means that you're being innovative. I mean, do you remember when the Beatles came to America and they were on the Ed Sullivan show? And, you Mm -hmm. know, my grandmother was telling me, how at the time, you know, the younger kids loved them, but the older generation just had their arms crossed and their head shaved because oh, it was yeah. a phenomenon that was so foreign and they just didn't know what to make of it. And so when people do that, they just kind of other it. But at, but at a certain point, you know, people seem to understand it, catch on, and you're having a wave of consciousness and something different rather than being a leaf in water that people understand. And so... I think that's a great point in breaking ground and, uh, you know, it, it's complimentary, you know, when people get agitated because you cause them to think. And some people are just lazy and would rather put something down than to have time and understand, right? <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, and kind of the same people that, you know, criticize you jump over to my page and criticize me and jump onto Suzanne's page and criticize her. And, wow, yeah. we have a lot in common. Isn't that wonderful? whoop de doo You know, because yeah. there's... Um, there's, you know, I, I used to do that early on as a, as a speaker when I would travel the country or in the UK. I'd, you know, speak to hundreds of people and I'd get two people that wrote a bad uh, report. And I, you know, I was a, a kid then still growing up and I'd focus on the two people, <laughs> you know, instead of the 298. It's like, this is ridiculous, you know. Um, but it, it's, um, yeah, it. It just keeps us on our toes. That's all. It's just, um, it's wonderful. And it says that you're doing a lot of things well and that that's what matters. Um, if you were, if you were to take in one, one piece of the book and talking about your afterlife experience and, 
and how it is really um, shifted and gave you insight um, with immortality and all that. Um, what would you say would be one of your your favorite points? I know there's many, and hopefully on every page there's one. But um, I mean, it is our stuff. It's our ch- there are children. But what would you say has really moved you? And either what you already knew and you're sharing it or what you discovered along the way in writing it. Yeah. I think it's the, the value of embracing. You know, I think within our society, we're, we're taught love on a very low frequency where it becomes conditional love, where we are taught to love what we do and not have a greater extent to love who we are or to not be able to love ourselves despite X, X, and X. And mm-hmm. so... You know, what I would say is, you know, having life as a teacher as an opportunity to bring you back to love. And it's not just the good things that happens to us that we label as good, you know, but the difficult parts and how, you know, that, that changes us. And so certainly, you know, the most traumatic experience, you know, people speak about all the good stuff about the near-death experience. But, you know, to me, it was quite traumatic, suffocating. You know, on the other side of that, I knew all was well. But having this profound experience and having to come back and not having the language for it was a challenge. But, but to be able to look at darkness and see the eternal light past it and see the illusion and the temporary weight that only it had of what we present to it as and understanding you know, that light and love are eternal is a great pillar of resilience for people to be able to overcome challenges and remember the simple message that they are eternal, they are forever loved, infinitely and far greater than they could ever comprehend it in the human mind. And I think just the value of understanding that we are not alone, we are supported, this is not random, this is intelligent, this is charted, this is planned, and being able to entrust the strength inside of you and around you as far greater than the challenges that be. Otherwise, you wouldn't be put on the surface. You couldn't handle what comes your way. That's what that's I. That's powerful. That's very powerful. I love yeah. your conversation. I, I think it's brave and bold, and you know, so so necessary and uh, and so engaging. In, in so many ways, it's going to be fun to watch you on the circuit with, you know, so many other people um, that are teaching this. And, it, it, you know, it's the four-minute mile. Nobody could do it. It's now the conversation that you don't really die. You know, it's um, it's shaking up. You know, it, it's just, it's, um, it's, it's, we're just always awakening and evolving like your, like your grandmother said. And it's necessary. It's really necessary. Oh, sure. So, well, the moment we see ourselves as a spiritual being, we're able to understand the synonymous understanding of physical evolution, you know, as, as something eternally that's happening and evolving within each and every lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I love your feeling around that is, you know, is that everything is spiritual and, and we're, we're there's a there's a big distinction I think between everything is spiritual and I am making a responsible choice as a verb 
to be spiritual, you know, in that way and the practice of that and what that what that looks like and, and what that holds me accountable for and to um, is uh, is very cool. I mean, I, I know for me in my, you know, my early 30s, it was um, how many more courses could I take and how much more meditation could I do so that I could not be a human anymore and just be floating around or whatever, <laughs> you know. Um, but then it became, you know, being spiritual in the practice of that, you, you, you do, you become more aware of your own humanity and the humanity of everyone else and the richness of that. You become more sensitive, not less, and more open and your heart opens. And anyway, it's an amazing journey, that's for sure, you know. Um, and I'm glad you're on it and glad you're doing your part. Everyone, I'm talking with uh, Jacob L. Cooper, and he is uh, trailblazing the world with his new book, Life After Breath, How a Brush with Fatality Gave Me a Glimpse of Immortality. And if you are, you know, this long-term friend of Unity Online or a new friend of Unity Online, you know also Suzanne Giesman has her own show as a host. And so uh, lots of good information out there and lots of opportunities for you to grow and expand. I want to thank you for tuning in with me on templehays.com or firstunity.org. And you can access our, our online university where we teach all kinds of things from mysticism to how to give a talk to being a healthy parent. We have all kinds of things. Jacob, it has been a pleasure to spend this hour with you. I, uh, I hold the best for you. I wish you well on your journey, and I hope you continue to push buttons out there because it means you're doing a really good job. Thank you for coming on board today with us on Unity Online. Appreciate that. My honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.